All right, we are up. Jeff Natalizio, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks. Good to see you. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Um, I guess this came about because we're on a coaching uh, group on on WhatsApp, and, and we, go, we go back and forth a lot sharing um, comments and information and, uh, you know, just trying to make each other better and you know, also have a little fun at the same time. And uh, and your name comes up a lot and you've got a lot of really interesting, cool things to say. So I thought, well, why not get you on the podcast and we can talk about some of those things, eh? I love that. Absolutely. So Jeff, tell us about you a bit. Uh, I, I understand that you're um, the head coach of Evolution Racing Club out there in Southern Cal. And, uh, but you have a history in swimming and, and, uh, and it's interesting. Everybody's got their own story. So tell us a little bit about you. Well, you know, I'm one of those one of those guys that uh, I started swimming when I was very young. It was the only sport that I ever did. You know, all all of the sports that I that I played were just just for fun. Swimming was always kind of my baby because mm -hmm. I had had really bad asthma when I was very very young. Mm -hmm. And you know, they, a lot of times the doctor says, you know, put the kid in swimming. So I grew up swimming. And it was always just a big part of my identity. You know, it was what I did. And then, uh, you know, I grew up swimming on Irvine Nova Aquatics under, you know, under Dave, Dave Salo. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I went to UC Berkeley. I swam with the recently deceased North Thornton, legend that he is, and mm -hmm. Mike Bottom, uh, legend that he continues to be. And for me, like, I was, I was very lucky because I was kind of an in-between guy. I was an IMer. And uh, they, you know, they recruited me predominantly for the 100 backstroke. So I got to train just about equally with both coaches there. So I was just exposed to a lot of different great ideas. You know, Dave Salo at the time was doing stuff that not a lot of other people were doing. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it just really kind of shaped my idea about what training for swimming looks like. Uh, once I finished college, I have a degree in art practice. I actually worked as an artist for seven years and then kind of came back into sports through Roundabout Way, working at a small boutique gym owned by a friend of mine, Noah Kenner. That's Urban Fitness Oakland in, uh, in Northern California. Mm -hmm. And that's where I got all the, the knowledge about strength training and, uh, you know, studying to get the certification and working with groups of people to be able to bridge the gap between my own swimming practice and the concepts that were the reason why the training worked. And for me, I had so many aha moments during that period where just so much of what I was doing in my past, just it made sense in the greater context of athletic performance. And then I also thought a lot on things that I did with my new, with my newfound knowledge that, uh, you know, ways that I felt that those things could be improved. Mm. And that's, that's what I kind of, continue to, to try to do. I um, I made the step back into coaching. I, uh, I went out with Milorad Chavic. He had a swim school in, in Serbia. He brought me out to be the strength coach for some of their national team guys. I I coached uh, Chava Siliaji over there. He's really, really good. Uh, 100 breaststroker. And, you know, he's consistently under a minute, long course meter. And uh, he, I think it was, it was actually the first time that he got under a minute was when I was working over there with uh, Sebastian Hegel. And uh, that's really what made me want to get back into coaching. So when I came back into the United States, I started looking for coaching jobs. And I've been with Evolution for almost eight years now. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. When I look through your um, bio at Cal, I see a guy that was solid, um, 
But I don't know, it, in your mind, did you extract everything you could out of yourself at that point in time? Or when or when you look back now, you're like, man, I could have given more. I could have done more. I could have I pulled more out of me. I don't know. Do you see that yourself? A, a little bit. I mean, I did I did my best. Uh, so my I did my best 100 meter backstroke time in 2016 mm -hmm. when I was 34. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. My my previous best from from college when I was 22 at the Texas Invitational was like a 57.4, oh. and uh, and then in 2016 at the age of 34 I went 56.8. So wow. trials I was the second oldest guy. You probably know the first oldest guy there. He he ended up winning a gold medal, um, and uh, you know that was actually my my main motivation to train was so that I could go to Olympic trials with Anthony. Mm. Um, you know, I've been doing his strength training since, uh, September of 2015 and I did his training all the way up and through Olympic trials and then up, up to, and through the Olympics as well. So my, my primary motivation was to qualify for the meet so that I didn't have to pay for tickets and, uh, air travel. So it was a <laughs> successful mission, but, uh, you know, when you get a little older, your motivation changes. <laughs> but so I guess going you... back to your original question, I, I felt at the time that I had, done pretty much everything I could with with the ability that I have. I always considered myself to be a, a medium talent. Um, and, you know, the coaches recognized that. That's why I won the coaches award. And, uh, you know, I was very serious. My senior year, I, I went dry, no drinking, no smoking, uh, li very limited partying. And, um, you know, I just really focused on having no regrets for the end of my career. Mm. And I, I felt at the time that I, I don't have any, I don't think back and think I could have done better. I could have been better. I think that like a lot of people, I was a little bit more of a late bloomer. And a lot of the knowledge that I accumulated in the time between ages 22 and 34, I was able to change the way that I personally thought about the stroke. Mm. Um, I think that if, if we're speaking hypothetically, I think if I go back and if I really apply what I know now, I think I probably could have been a 5,400 meter backstroker, but I really don't think I, I could have gone any faster than that. I mean, it's still quick. 54 is quick, but, but you, you swam best times, like you said, many years later and, and probably off less work. And, and I don't know, maybe, maybe not even being as, as strict as, as you were your senior year, let's say, but like, what are, what are the things then that you see like, okay, well, if, if I had have known that then, and I had, if I had have applied that then, maybe I could have been faster at that point. So what are the things you're picking up on later in life? Well, you know, I think there's actually kind of a, we can look at the answers to this existing at different points on the timeline, because I want to go back to the reason we're having this conversation in the first place, which is the preseason lecture that I, that I gave to my swimmers at Evolution Racing Club, which mm -hmm. I shared with my parents and, and I shared with you guys, just because like you said, that, that coaching thread has such a wealth of uh, not just, not just talent, but, um, but broad careers and, uh, and deep and free thinkers yeah. And if, if I, you know, I clearly feel very strongly about the things that I feel that I know about the sport and, you know, I, I, I want to have my perceptions challenged uh, all, if there's anybody else that could be helped by the way that I think about the sport, you know, I want to make mm. that available, but I also want to, you know, give myself the opportunity to continue to improve by, by leveraging this, this fantastic network that we have. Thanks to, I know Dave Marsh put it together and, and it's, it's, it's really a, a great little community to be a part of in the small way that I'm a part of it. But uh, the thing that really kicked off that for me was when I, when I started at Berkeley, 
we had we had a lecture in the first week and the concepts that were put forth in the lecture were concepts i'd never heard before i'd never heard anybody talk about you know the physics of swimming really you know everything was just about about working hard and and you know dave salo is, is a great coach and one of the things that he does better than anybody else that i don't think he gets enough credit for is air swimming i mean mm. when he was demonstrating techniques on deck he actually mm. had solid technique and i still see a lot of the coaches that that i work with now the younger coaches i see them demonstrating the catch position i see them demonstrating a pole and they're just dropping the elbow and mm -hmm. i'm like guys please mm -hmm. if the swimmer does exactly what you're doing they're gonna fail yeah you know, so the sailor mm -hmm. was really good about that so i feel I'm a, I'm a pretty visual learner so for me that was a really really effective way to learn but then getting this lecture at berkeley talking about a lot of the same concepts that uh that I talk about in my preseason lecture, which I've of course then built upon with my training background predominantly, uh, that was eye-opening for me. And after that meeting, and and any anybody who's going to go to a new program, who's who's going to be starting college, you know, this is probably the, some of the best advice that I can give. You know, use the resources there. You're going to have a coach with a ton of experience who's seen a ton of swimmers, and. Uh, leave the ego behind, you know, go in mm. with the idea that you need to change to continue to improve. And what I told Nort after that lecture was, look, coach, I realize I've probably gotten as good as I'm going to get the way I've been swimming. And if I want to continue to improve, which I do, I need to start over from scratch. And Nort mm -hmm. was just like, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's start mm. today. So mm. we did all kinds of things just to break all of my bad habits. Um, you know, I, I like to think of it as reprogramming. And uh, a lot of like all the work that, that we did at Evolution at the national team level in the first two weeks, no swimming, balancing, sculling, sculling in different positions, learning how to change the way that you feel the water. And actually a, a phrase that I just kind of stumbled across during the course of the lecture was this concept of bridging the gap between talent and ability. Mm. Everybody's got a certain level of talent but your ability is not related to your talent on a one-to-one. -one. Everybody's got the, the, the capacity to increase their ability beyond what their natural talent level is. And so the way that we were doing that was, I mean, obviously I was, I, I, I name dropped David Popovici in that lecture. I was very just intrigued and inspired by the way that he swam that race, as I mm -hmm. think as I think all the coaches were. And you were actually the one other guy that pointed out the similarities between uh, Popovici and Anthony Irvin. Mm -hmm. And they actually do, you know, somebody might look at them and think that they're totally different swimmers. But a lot of the, the things that they do have a unifying concept from a structural standpoint. And it, that's really where, as a coach, you can learn from the differences in the way swimmers are successful. And then looking at those differences, which are obvious, and trying to find the commonalities, which are mm. much more subtle. Yeah. I, I, always, um, I, always, I always say this, like, there are certain people you see in sport do things, and to me, they, they just come across as innate in terms of, like, a, some sort of special gift that, that you know, the, that these elite people have you know and um anthony was one of those guys that i used to compete against and i used to not study him but i would watch him right like you always watch your competition if you're smart you, you're like all right what are they doing i gotta watch him and anthony had a way in the water that i would try and mimic and i i could never get it like i could never do what he did 
thoroughly. I could do parts of it. I could do pieces of it. I could never do it as fluidly as he could do it. Even just the action of the way he would swing his arm in the water in his recovery, the way he would place his hand on the water to feel water before he before he grabbed it and, and held onto it. Um, these are things that I would watch Anthony do and I would try and copy and I, and I couldn't for the life of me. And it's not just an Anthony thing, right? Like I had, I had the great Alexander Popoff who I, um, you know, grew up with and they would say, well, you know, swim like Popoff swimming. And I'm like, I can't, I just can't do it. So like there's certain people like that. And then when I see, um, David Popovich, it's very similar in the sense that when I, when I watch him swim, I'm almost flashing back to what I was watching when I was watching Anthony swim, right? And that's not to say that Anthony had such a gift that that's all he had, right? Like, I'm not saying that. I don't want to say that Anthony was so superior that he didn't have to work. Like, that's not the case at all. Anthony worked hard. Anthony's very thoughtful. I mean, you, you know better than anyone. You worked with him. So, but when they touch the water, it's something special there. Am I right or wrong? Can you, can you teach that? Or is there just some people who have something a little bit better than everybody else? Well, I mean, I, I, some people do have just natural talent, you know, and the way that, the way that I've seen it play out is that natural talent is the feel for the water. Like you can mm -hmm. learn all these technical things and you can strive to emulate the way a person swims, where they place their hand, the trajectory of their hand through the pole, through the push. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't feel what they're feeling. Mm. And that's something that, yeah, a lot of people are born with that. If you have it, you have it. And, you know, good for you. Now the challenge, like your cross to, to, to bear is that you have to be able to develop that. Mm -hmm. And it can be tough for a very, very talented swimmer to want to put the work into developing their talent. And you see that all the time too, right? Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, you got guys with less talent. And, and then you, you got to figure out how to bridge that gap between talent and ability. And the way that I decided to frame that challenge this season, which is different than last season and the season before, is by trying to teach them the, the technical fundamentals and how to use those. And when I say how to use those, that means um, what it should feel like, mm. uh, providing feedback so that they can focus on feeling a certain thing while their body is in a certain position, then hopefully do that enough times where you internalize that feeling. And then as we start to build the stroke up, which we're going to be doing this week, you, uh, you can start to apply some of that into the actual swimming. And, and, and you know how swimming is. If you can make even the most marginal improvement in your body position and your drag coefficient, then you're going to get some really exciting performances out of that and hopefully yes. create a bunch of those aha moments. We individualize training in the pool, so why not individualize your nutrition? Erica Barney of Barney Wellness Building will help you and your swimmers get exactly what each athlete needs through genetic testing and personalized nutrition plans. So stop guessing what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body. Athletes within a few weeks have noticed they're recovering faster because they're fueling their body with what they need and staying away from what their body hates. Erica understands swimming. She gets it. She's worked with over 20 Olympians, including the fastest man in the world, Caleb Dressel. Group discounts are available. So go to Biney Wellness Building and get in touch with Erica today. That's Biney, B-E-I-N-E, wellnessbuilding.net. Swim Angelfish. Swim Angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities. 
Swim Angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply. I have some, I have some theories about where that feel for the water comes from. And, you know, usually when we, when we look at swimmers that just have an amazing feel, these are not like guys that are super ripped or cuts, obviously right. there's notable exceptions, but they're typically kind of thinner, more wiry guys. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, from, from the, all the learning that I've done in my, my course as a, as a strength trainer, uh, one of the things that I, that, that really resonated with me that, that kind of stuck in my mind as something that might prove to be very important later was the fact that your, your fascial system has 12 times the amount of proprioceptive organs in it as your skeletal muscular system. And what that means to me is that if your nervous system is in tune with a highly developed fascial system, then you're going to be getting really constant feedback as to what your body's position is in space mm. relative to itself, which is the definition of proprioception. And Anthony has, he is a fascial athlete. You look at him, right? He, he's, he looks like in another life, he could have been a, probably a high jumper or a mm. hurdler, uh, very, very tightly wound. Um, and not, not like a ton of muscle mass. You know, when he competes, he's, he's six foot three, he competes at about 170 pounds. And uh, he's just got a very, very finely tuned fascial system. Yep. And that incorporates with an extremely intense central central nervous system, mm -hmm. you know, which um, he's been very vocal about his, uh, you know, growing up with Tourette's. And uh, there were some really notable um, athletes recently who were featured in, a, I think it was on HBO, some documentary about athletes and Tourette's. And there's, there's a concept there that, that Anthony believes in, and it makes a lot of sense to me that the work that you have to do with your neurological system just to be able to live with Tourette's is something that has an extremely high crossover for athletic performance mm. because you have to be able to regulate and control an overexcited nervous system. Um, so you just have this high level of, of, of nervous energy, this high level of, ex, of excitation, you know, your brain and your, your, your spinal cords firing all these impulses to your muscles. And uh, you have to learn how to deal with that, which that's, there's no way that doesn't help. And um, I forget the, I forget the last name is the goalkeeper when the United States did really, really well in the world cup. Um, Tim was his first name. I'm blanking on his last name, but he talked about how he felt his uh, living with Tourette's had, uh, had kind of conditioned his nervous system to be able to be exceptional as goalkeeper. And, and our performance in that world cup was uh, completely a result of the fantastic uh, goalkeeping job that he did. Was it Tim Howard or am I making that up? I, I remember it's an H name. I, how okay. is it Howard? So, yeah, I, th I Howard? think so, but I I'm going to look this up after. We'll obviously. check it out. Um, yeah. As you were talking, you, you actually um, made me want to make another point too about the Anthony situation because of what I was saying about Anthony and, and how good I perceived him to be. What then that made me do is then work extra harder to try and, you know, 
keep up with Anthony because I can't compete with Anthony unless I'm working really, really hard to try and get to where I think he is, right? So then, then that makes me better. So Anthony made me better by him being as good as I thought he was, you know? So then that's the way it works in athletics is, is not, you don't give up and say, well, that person's better than me. You say, I think they're better than me and I want to be as good as them. So I'm going to work really hard to try and get as close as I can. And maybe, you know, maybe I just beat him one day. And um, that was never the case with me and Anthony. He got me every time, but I came close enough to feel good about it, you know, to say, well, I'm competitive with this guy because he's, he's pushing me to work harder. So I, I wanted, I wanted the kids to hear that part of it as well, is that sure. there's a lot of hard work that goes into wanting to get, get better. And, and, um, what you titled it was called Swimming Basics, and it's on your YouTube page. Where? What is your YouTube page? Uh, I believe it's Zeofit Elite. Okay, Zeofit Elite. That's where you can find it. It's called Swimming Basics, and it's it's really interesting. It's a thirty minute lecture that you're giving these kids. It's very detailed, and and there's a lot to take away. And I think you should probably either listen to it a few times or take notes while you're doing it and kind of go over your notes because there's a lot of really high quality information in there. If you can give us maybe some of the cliff notes on the things that you touched on. Absolutely. Um, so I, I break it down into three basic concepts, which mm -hmm. is uh, posture, balance, and uh, feel slash connection to the water, okay. which that feel connection is really where I identified the talent lion. And mm -hmm. then those first two components are things that you have to learn to get yourself in a position where you can start to build your feel from that position so that you're hopefully swimming in a way where you're higher on the water with less drag. Um, and posture is essentially, it's the first thing that you need to be, you need to be able to change the shape of your body in order to achieve balance in the water, which I, I, I refer to this as aquatic body posture. So uh, basically, you know, it's all about how you use the muscles of your core to right. change the shape of your spine. So you gotta be able to, you know, your neck curves, Mm -hmm. this way you got to right. be able to straighten out the neck your mm -hmm. upper back curves this way mm -hmm. and you got to be able to press the chest draw the shoulders back and uh straighten out your thoracic spine and then your lower back has an arch to it and you have to be able to engage your core and tilt your pelvis back mm -hmm. to be able to straighten out your lower spine so really what you want to do is take that natural s that's in your spine and straighten it out and you know, none of this is is none of this is particularly mysterious i think I think most coaches, I mean, every coach at, at our level understands this. And, uh, you know, it's really important to just be able to do that. Because what I see is I see a lot of kids that sit around with an, with an arched back or they have really horrible posture through the upper body. And a lot of that is when they get to, like, I work with uh, high school age swimmers. And by the time they get to me, they've spent several hours, you know, leaning on a desk, mm -hmm. right. terrible position. Looking down they, at their phone. Yep, looking phone posture. I talk about <laughs> cell phone posture. Yep. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the hips not being in alignment, and and that's that's one thing that I added in. And when when I was having this conversation back in college, we didn't talk about the hips really. We focused on the spine, the chest, and the angle of the hips, but not the not what, what's south of the hips, not not the femur, right? And so one of the one of the main things that where, where the talk that I gave differs from the, the talk that I got in college was the importance of the hip flexor muscles in how they affect the lower spine posture. 
And, uh, you know, if you have, if you have tight hip flexors and all swimmers do, because flutter kick is a very, very, you know, hip flexor, you know, when you do a hard flutter kick set, you know, it's, you're feeling it in your hip flexors. That's where, that's where you're burning. That's where you're failing. That's what's going to die before anything else. And, uh, and especially I, I, I talked with a German physio mm -hmm. and he asked me, cause I was, I was in the capacity of Anthony's trainer at the time. And, and he asked me what I thought, cause we were talking about the psoas muscle, which is the deepest hip flexor muscle. He asked me what I thought the athlete with the most developed psoas was. And I had actually just watched, uh, a special about uh, Olympic sprinters. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh man, easy, uh, track athletes, uh, a, a sprinter, a track sprinter. And he was like, actually it's backstrokers. And mm -hmm. I was so surprised by that when he said it to me. But then later when I went home and I thought about like why that could possibly be, it made a lot of sense because of the way that a backstroker has to anchor their top leg behind their hip as they reach with the opposite arm. Mm -hmm. And what you end up having is you have a fully extended and fully loaded hip flexor that's responsible for creating and carrying the tension from the top foot to the bottom hand to the hand that's catching. And once I realized that that's what was happening, it made a ton of sense to me. So the last thing that we talk about with posture is actually engaging the glutes and strength and uh, lengthening the hip flexor. And when, because if you don't do that, then you get yourself in a position where you can't even change your lower spine angle because every time you try to do that and then you extend your leg the psoas just pulls your low spine out of alignment yeah so even though you know what to work on and you know what it feels like you can't actually do it in the context of swimming which makes it pointless mm. this is this is really interesting i mean it's it's super interesting and, and i've had obviously conversations like this before what's probably more interesting to me is that now we have um coaches at your level kind of coaching the youth into this now like I, I think by the time we got to college it was like all right we're gonna make some changes here if we want to compete like the college mm -hmm. swimming was getting so good that if you weren't doing things at a really high level you just couldn't compete now we're seeing that if you don't do things at a super high level at a younger age you can't compete at the at the junior level right like so you're having this conversation i'm listening to you on on YouTube and I'm thinking like, wow, this is a really high level conversation for um, a younger type athlete, you know, but that's kind of the way that the sport is progressing that you won't be able to compete. Like if you, if you just looked at the junior pan pack results, I mean, there, there's kids, you know, 14, 15, 16, whatever it is, just swimming out of their minds. Here we are, we've got this 17 year old world record holder in the hundred freestyle now. So like, Kids are swimming really fast and they're really aware at a young age. Are you seeing this more in your coaching groups now where they're having more of these high level conversations or are you, are you still kind of on the, the outer outliers of, of, of kind of like youth coaching? Honest, honestly, I do. I do feel like I'm an outlier, uh, but I might be wrong. I might just not be talking to the right people, but uh, you know, I know, like I never was exposed to this when I was younger. And I think right. there's a lot of coaches like me who went to college all of a sudden just got uh, access to a whole nother cerebral level of, of mm -hmm. swimming. And then if they're passionate about it and they want to coach because they love the sport and they, and they want to be involved with producing some, some very exciting swims, then I think naturally they want to come back and introduce these concepts at an earlier age. And I actually started off on this team coaching 11, 12 year olds, mm. but I, I decided from the very beginning that 
I was going to speak to them like adults and teach them uh, complex concepts. And my thinking was, you know, even if they don't understand 75% of it, they're going to hear this consistent language. And by the time they're 15, mm-hmm. it'll start to make sense. It'll start to click. And, and you know, you just want to create these aha moments earlier. Because like you said, people are getting really fast. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to wait until college to introduce, you know, uh, a novel concept that might change the way somebody thinks about swimming and allows them to get more out of their training. Because again, it's like I keep coming back to this bridging the gap between talent and ability. And uh, if you can make steps as as a as a coach who's coaching, you know, adolescents, uh, young teenagers that are just at the point where they're probably starting to think about getting serious in the sport, if you can I- introduce into a fertile mind these ideas uh, that could cause them to work smarter and create good habits instead of bad habits that mm. need to be unlearned at a later age, right. then you can really start to free up performance. You know, I would think exponentially because, I mean, we all know how much harder it is to break a habit at, uh, at a, at like the ripe old age of you know, whatever, 20. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a lot easier to do it when you're you know kind of like in puberty or coming out of puberty and you're, there's a lot of growth happening naturally and uh, you're not so set in your ways. You know, there were a lot of guys that came in to Cal that didn't want to change. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the worst thing that you can do going into a training situation is think that you already know what you need to do. You know, and, and real quick though, because thinking, mm. thinking's its thing, right? And one of the things that you were talking about, you were talking about kind of your back and forth, your swimming career with Anthony was, you know, you're trying to work hard and you're trying to figure out how to swim like he's swimming. And, uh, you know, you're probably working to get, I saw you, man, you were shredded back in the day Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, you're working to get strong. And, uh, meanwhile, you know, you know, Anthony's got this, this fascial system that he's really leaning on and you actually can train the fascial system. You know, you can focus on that type of training to augment your, your ability to, to use your fascia, like a, like a big elastic band to just store and release energy without you having to develop big muscles. I like to think of the the muscles as being the tuning elements in the fascial system where they're there to build and create the tension, build and create the the motor force. But what they're really doing to produce the performance is transferring energy to the fascial system so that you can use your body in a more elastic and relaxed way. Popovici does that exceptionally well. I don't know mm-hmm. how much they've trained that and how much of it is natural talent. I would, I would imagine that it's probably mostly talent 85 percent. if i had to just take a random wild guess but um you know the thing that anthony does and i'm sure you've talked to him about this at some point is he doesn't think about where his hand should go he thinks about feeling he builds mm-hmm. his stroke from a place of of feeling because I, he he understands that uh that's what his strength is and i think that's also what makes it engaging and, and interesting for him so, you know, the other part of, of the lecture, it's, it's about, you know, it's, it's, and it's not like a cut and dried thing. Like, I want you to do this because this is what it is. It's more like, mm-hmm. we're going to do this because I want you to try to change the way that you're feeling the water and see if you can maybe find something that you haven't felt yet. Because if you can get somebody to feel something, then that's something that they can understand intrinsically. Whereas something that you're just understanding conceptually that's not necessarily something that you can reproduce in a in an athletic environment.
Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout. DestroMachines.com. Vasa has been the go-to training tool outside of the pool for over 30 years. Vasa's products are ideal for developing power and proper technique in your swimmer's catch. Add a few Vasa trainers to your pool deck and it's like adding an extra lane to your swimming pool. Go to vasatrainer.com, use code BREAD at checkout and get 10% off anything from Vasa. How much of that do you do throughout the season, right? So like you're, you're obviously talking to them and uh, up front and then you're probably spending a few weeks working on a lot of these concepts and then you, you do at some point have to shift into you know the work as well that they have to do uh, it's always necessary but then how much of a blend is there between you know that that breakdown because you, you've got to break them down at some point to build them up and, and maybe that's kind of like uh, weekly you know ups and downs type mm -hmm. things but the but, but how much of that is built into your your work where you want them to keep that feel without being completely just um, broken down to a point where they, they lose all their functionality? Well, uh, I would say I did. I warned them about this when I sent out my, my email, my preseason email. I, I warned them that uh, they weren't going to want to miss the first couple of weeks of practice because we were not going to regress this far for the rest of the season. Right. So once we leave this first two, which we finished the first two weeks at this point, now we're, we're not going back to this. Mm -hmm. So now it's going to be like, I hope you were there. I hope you paid attention. I hope you got something out of it. But um, right. there always will be an element of this incorporated into practice throughout the week. But uh, we'll, we're never going to focus on it under such a microscope as we have been for these first couple of weeks. Right. Uh, Cause you know, you got to work. Some days we're going to come in and there's going to be a ton of volume that needs to get done. And we won't work on this stuff at all because you have to prioritize what the training phase needs in that moment. Uh, other times we'll come in and, and, you know, maybe the first 30 minutes we'll work on starting some of these concepts and incorporating them into something else, usually a breath control element or some kind of kicking, some kind of intensity, uh, some kind of DPS work, uh, but we will we will not be regressing back to this point until next year. Mm -hmm. so, did you, right, other, man, other than this um, beautiful presentation that you give, did you do any filming of what you wanted them to do in the water as well? Do you have like video of that? I didn't. I could produce that. I may do that. But uh, actually, for these first weeks, I, I was in the water every day. Mm, I, okay. I did a lot of, lot of demos, um, right. you know, cause it is, this is the time when we have the luxury of time to be able to go slowly and, and really learn things correctly. Cause I mean, I, I strongly believe that if we put the focus, the attention to detail into this kind of thing, and you can feel something differently and find a way to move your body so that it balances better in the water. And if you really focus on that without being distracted by, you know, work that needs to be done, then uh, you can come in and build on this and, and just try to carry it over. And, uh, you know, like I said, just a, a, the tiniest amount of improvement from a foundational standpoint is going to allow your work to be more effective. You know, the, the worst thing that you want as an athlete, the last thing that you want to see happen is for you to put a ton of work in that doesn't get you the results that you want. And, you know, 
it happens all the time. We've all been at some point in our careers where we've put the work in and haven't gotten the results. And the idea of setting up the foundation is to try to create as, as, as opportunistic a season as possible where you can, you know, take advantage of the fact that you've worked on these fundamentals and then apply the hard work on top of that and hopefully get a better result as opposed to just working hard at your bad habits. Mm. And, um, you know, maybe you marginally improved because you grew a little bit or, or you, you improved your aerobic capacity, but you missed out on an opportunity to, to, you know, when you're walking through the airport, you step on that, uh, that moving sidewalk and you're just blasting by everybody without having to try as hard. You know, you want to try to find that moving sidewalk if you can. Mm. I imagine your retention is is pretty high. Like it, it seems like you're getting these kids to engage, which then gets them to value what they're doing more and then appreciate it and then enjoy it more. I'd imagine, right? We've been we've been pretty successful at, in in the, the groups that I coach in terms of retention lately. That wasn't always the case, man. The environment down here is is very challenging, and and some some families don't have the patience mm. to uh, to regress this much. Um, and I mean, I, I think, I think patience is, is a, a big detriment. Well, lack of patience is a huge detriment in this sport. You know, I have a, mm -hmm. oh my God, I, I don't even want to go down this, this wormhole, but, uh, I mean, if I was coaching five-year-olds, I, they wouldn't even do a single stroke until they could float, balance, mm -hmm. kick wow. in every position, streamline, uh, move their spine to, to dolphin kick without just kicking with their knees. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you have, uh, oh man, I feel very, feel very passionate about this. So I'm going to try to rein it in, but you have a, you have a <laughs> lot of parents that would, they just want to see their kid doing something that looks like what Michael Phelps does on TV. Even if it mm -hmm. just looks kind of like that, that's what they want to see. They, they don't want to see their kids spend a year learning how to balance and kick and, and float and skull. Uh, even though if you had that patience and you did that, when you started to learn the strokes, you would just... You would see fan, you'd see fantastic results because you have a strong foundation, and, and swimming would be more fun. It would be easier, less painful. You know, you'd feel like if you put the work in, you get the result, and that's that's one of the things that's that's tricky when when you're at, at the club level is not everybody's got the same amount of ability. You know, when right. you get to college, the idea is everybody's about about the same because you're all competing at the same level. So there's a baseline mm -hmm. level of ability that's already existing on that team. But when you have a club team with a wide range of, of ability levels, what you see is that the people with talent, they put the work in and they get the results every time. Mm -hmm. The people without the talents, those are the ones that put the work in and maybe don't get the result. And so uh, like this phase of training is really more about those people, you know, which, which I would consider them to be the middle class. And if you want to have a robust economy, you got to have a robust middle class. Yeah. Well, listen, Jeff, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts, man. Uh, like I said, the, it, was, it was very impactful, the 30-minute the presentation that I saw. I think it's worth everybody checking it out. So, so go hunt it down. We'll actually, we'll link it to this, um, to this interview so people can find it in the show notes as well. So it'll be there. But, um, mate, I appreciate your time. It sounds like you're doing some really cool stuff, very innovative, very forward-thinking, and... Um, Mate, if I was uh, if I was a young kid again, I'd be swimming for you. It sounds like I'd uh, want to be in there, man. So I love that, it. man. And you know, thank you for sharing your platform. I I really appreciate it, my man. Yep. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Take care, man. Cheers. Bye.